been a while. When's the last? Was it winter last? I don't know. I don't know. I know we shouldn't talk about that, but I don't like rules. Right. No rules. No just podcast right. rules. We won't be cussing them. You know, Aaron was going to be on this one today, too. That's right. He had an apocalypse. What did he call it? Did you like that? I called that uh, an apostrophocalypse. (laughs) That's an interesting word. It's it's worse when you say it out loud. You have to be careful with it. I think it's easier spelled. I mean, when you spell it, it's more polite because it has a PH in it. Right, right. The problem with Aaron's name is that it has an apostrophe in it. I know. He's trying to go back to school right now. And that apostrophe has messed him up so many times. Right. Uh, it kept one of his classes from registering properly, and he thought he knew what was happening, and turns out his apostrophe messed him up again. It messed everything up. I remember in the uh, when I used to be on Windows a lot, I don't think you could name a file with an apostrophe, but I think on the Mac you can. So even, I could be wrong about that, but even now when I name things on the Mac, you know, I get used to putting apostrophes in, but if I'm sending something to someone else, I'll, I'll leave that kind of stuff out. And I've done that with his name before. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. It's probably, yeah, maybe that's just a habit. But I think he thought, and it seem, would seem reasonable that in this millennia <laughs> that we had solved that, but came back to bite him again today, which is a bummer. Hey, I pulled a Dan Landrum today. I, I don't know what that means. I'll tell you what it means. Um, so about a week ago, the air conditioner in the van quit working, and it's been hot outside. So um, it turned out it, it was probably the blower in the front of the van. Okay. So I... And for those who don't know, I don't really fix things. Dan is somebody who likes to crawl under a house and all that kind of stuff. So I, uh, there was a great YouTube video where this guy said, man, this is the easiest. I'm a mechanic, and this is the <laughs> easiest fix on any car I've ever performed. So I ordered the blower for 120 bucks, and it showed up. And I went out there this morning and... Took the old one was all you had to do. I just laid under the, the, the glove compartment and you could see it. Unscrewed it, unplugged it, popped the new one in. Boom. It's working. Easy peasy. I, I had to do that recently to get a dead squirrel out. Really? What do you mm-hmm. mean? And our truck, which we don't have anymore, but our truck, we were trying to get it ready actually to trade or sell or give away or something like that. And uh, we couldn't use the blower in it. It smelled like bad like something dead it was wow. awful and yeah. and it was in the vent system or what mhm it died it it, it died <laughs> and it was if you put it on high little pieces of fur would come oh, blowing out right. at you. <laughs> well i was thinking you know i would like you know these guys that put these really loud stereo systems in their car yeah i i i don't have time for this or i call the, them neighbors <laughs> right well, I was thinking I would like to mod the blower on this thing so it just takes your head off. You know, I I I uh, I don't like being uh, hot. I don't like summer. Let me put it that way. So let's talk. So here's what I would do if I was going to do that. First yeah. off, you're not going to mess with your car's computer system. That's and right. All the voltage coming from that. You got to take it be, what it what it gives you. Well, it'd be super easy to do. Radio shacks? There aren't radio shacks to, to order from some place. 
a little switch. You drill a hole in your dashboard and put a switch on that disconnected the power going into your fan blower. Uh huh. And then reconnect the power going into your fan blower from oh. something that's giving it more power. So you'd throw this other switch. Now, there's always a lot of switches in race cars and those kinds of things. I suspect that's the sort of thing they're doing. I think I'll look for a podcast on this topic. Maybe. That's where I'd go. How have you been? Now, what? let's talk about this. Why haven't we done a podcast in a while? And I'll just start it off. Um, no reason. <laughs> I don't know yeah. that anybody would believe that. <laughs> it's just No, I think that's it. It's like, in my mind, we have a podcast. Right. Maybe we got to a place where we all felt that just wasn't the task we needed to do right now. I guess. And we had other tasks going on. Honestly, a little of... I don't like to speak to anybody else's intent, but uh, you've been in in the process of falling in love and things like that. All that kind of stuff. I've felt like not chasing you around. I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just like, no, Steve's at a good place. That's that's okay. <laughs> well, we're doing great, and things have normalized a little bit. So uh, here's the podcast. Maybe it's all my fault. But you've been involved in city government to 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 a great extent, right? Yeah, and that's I'm I'm running again, so that's probably not going to change. I did my first little speech last weekend, was it? The way it works here is the three people are elected every two years. So three roll off, three new ones come on. And if you, and so I'm up, the person who gets the third highest vote count only serves for two years. Oh. The others serve for four years. That's interesting. And uh, so I gave my my speech, and at the end of it, I was like, "So I, you know, I've learned a lot doing this, and so I think I'll, I'd like to keep doing it. If you folks would like for me to keep doing it, but doing it, but I'd really like to come in third. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, that was so good. I said, I kind of said, so good. Vo- vote for me. Mm. <laughs> I like so, that. Yeah. Um, so we've done a lot of festivals. Um, I know. We've done a lot of events the last six months. Just a a tremendous amount. I did my taxes, and I was surprised that last year I spent, this is 2017, I was on the road exactly 40% of the year. No kidding. 40%. I thought you were going to say how much money you spent, and and it was expecting you to say $17,000, and that's at Denny's alone. (laughs) Well, I remember when I was young, of course, I didn't get hardly any work. Or, or, and, and maybe even I can think back to when I didn't get any. And so, of course, I feel thankful. But I'm also feeling thankful that I'm in the position now to think I should try to not be gone that much. I think what I just, I think I wanted to see how much I could do in a year. I don't want to do more than 40%. Now, that, that, you know, the bulk of that is driving, it seems. <laughs> so, sure, it is. It's a lot. Um, you do it well, though. I mean, you, I think you do it right. I'm proud of you, man. You're proud of me. I am. Well, we should hang out. 
<laughs> I know. And at, at not, it's not going to happen at a This festival. is us hanging out. This podcast is us hanging out. Remember, that's how we started these things to begin with. That's right. We would call and talk, and then we decided we ought to start a podcast, and so we did. And I think we're starting again. Well, at least I can guarantee everybody, that, for the most part, I can guarantee that there's going to at least be, I would say, another 45 minutes <laughs> tacked onto the entire stack of podcasts. You know, so I wonder, now that I'm thinking about why I didn't pursue picking up podcasts like, hey, why don't we do one next week? Yeah. I do remember feeling just a little bit, it's like, I think people have heard pretty much all I have to say. About uh, you know, I've thought that a few times and wondered what you, I, if I've thought that a number of times and then I've thought, I wonder if Dan thinks that, but we're not here uh, and I. I want to reiterate, I am not here to entertain. I am not here to give information. I'm here to talk to Dan and sometimes Aaron. That's why I'm here, is we're dulcimer buddies. We're, you know, you, we are fanatics. We're, we are dulcimer fanatics. You know, I can't get that out of my system. I feel the same way about you and Aaron, and so, yeah. That's we're fanaticizing together. That's that's really what I think the podcast is for is me. Is that a word? Fanaticizing? I love doing that, turning words into yes. Yeah, it is now. It is now because that's how languages evolve. Did I turn that into a Look verb? at you evolving. Yeah. Yeah. Fanaticizing. Right. There's a bit too much of that in society, but we'll let that go for now. So how's the um, um you've got a Russell Cook. So you, you want now you love Dusty Strings and you love uh, you love big old, Sam Rosetta, which yeah, was, yeah, yeah. What do you call that? Not graphite, composite. What is it called? Carbon fiber. Carbon fiber. And and now, in addition to those that you love, <laughs> you've been <laughs> playing this um, Russell Cook from Master Works. Yeah, Dulce Forte. There's, I have a new one coming in today. As a matter of fact. So what's and, what's your thoughts? How long have you been playing this thing now? I'm probably up to about. Has it been five months or so? Yeah. It's probably about, because I think I had just gotten one about the time we did the last podcast, or was somewhere around there, but yeah, and I've I've played a couple, you know, I, I, I guess we did one podcast after we got back from England, didn't we? That was probably it, and so that was in May. You and Aaron did one, that's right. Okay, but I think it had maybe been a while before that as well, oh, so yeah. we've been spotty about that since probably... November of last Nobody's year. Nobody's going to even know this podcast No, nah, it doesn't exists. matter. It <laughs> Do, doesn't matter. Well, it, it doesn't matter anyway because people don't listen to it. We aren't doing breaking news. This is not about who's testifying somewhere. <laughs> so that doesn't, that doesn't matter. But I could, I'll, I could bore you to death with what I have to say about these. So tell me what interests you. No, no, it's no. A fan- the hammer dulcimer, right? You no, know, no. I mean, so for instance, I saw the UPS notification a few minutes ago that uh, I've got something, 38 pounds coming today. Right. And I called Angie and, and I said, hey, have you ordered something? Because I've, I've got a little ceiling medallion for a light fixture I put up yesterday that yeah. I ordered. But this is 38 pounds. It did not occur to me that could be a hammer dulcimer in its case all packed oh. and everything, and the shipping weight being 38 pounds. Uh, that's one of the cool things about this, because the instrument itself is under 20. 
you know, of course, by the time you pack something, there's a lot of other stuff that goes in the case. But isn't that amazing? I mean, I'd like to know with the the, dulc- the mountain dulcimers I've been playing weigh. I, I feel like they weigh a pound, but I don't know. Can I tell you? Uh, well, I can, of course I can tell you. If you're interested, on a harp, when you play the harp, you have sometimes black, sometimes blue string for the F, and the C's are red. Right? You've seen that? I just had a concert harpist show me the color system. Okay. It has bugged me for a long time why we don't have a color system on the hammer dulcimer because it is as complex, if not way more complex, than a harp. So I've devised a color system for the yeah. hammer dulcimer, and Russell Cook is creating special bridges Ooh, that will have cool. this color marking system on them. Cool. And so these are like position markers on a on a dulcimer, mountain dulcimer. Yeah. So it's not going to mess up the white, black, black, white system that people are used to as far as telling where major scales are. I think as your eyes move from one bridge to the next, it's just it would be reassuring to at least have a minimal amount of marking. In particular when you're you're thinking, oh, I need a minor third or you're thinking I need a flat or a sharp. And so what this is doing is taking color and I'll wait until I can actually show the the final product because we've messed with different ways of doing it. But I think we've nailed it now. (laughs) It's so cool. And a G has a color, but if it's a G sharp, it has the color with just a little black dot by it. Hmm. And you don't notice them unless you want to notice them. No, that's neat. It's very reassuring, Steve, when you're playing and you've, you've got accidentals that occur. It just gives you one other thing to think... Oh, it's that one. So I'm excited. I think uh, Russell wasn't sure when I started talking to him about it months ago. But uh, he said after they did one. He, matter of fact, the very first person who came into his shop. Because he's a good player. So he would have been. Oh, he's a good one. player too, yeah. So the very first person who came into his shop saw it and said, well, I want that. Of course. <laughs> I can look at that and tell what note it is immediately. Yeah. So that's exciting. So what about the um, the sound of this thing and uh, maintaining tuning? Is that? Yep, there. You know, nothing's going to be as tuning stable as an all carbon fiber instrument. Right, I'm aware of that. But uh, this one's this one's blowing me away. I mean, you and I just got back from uh, Gateway a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't tune before I went. I had the thing in the trunk of a car. I visited mm-hmm. with my niece. It was the car was parked in the shade, and I did a concert the next day without tuning it. I just touched it a little, touched bit. it a little bit. Yeah, but I didn't do one of those forty-five minute tuning sessions. No. Well, I have a hammer dulcimer update. Oh yeah, what do you got? What do you have? It kind of it brings us together a little bit. So, um, so when I first met girlfriend, one of the first things out of her mouth was, "So we did not meet and." Uh, Her dad played, right? Well, we didn't meet in the music world, you know. So she said, um, she said, well, my dad played dulcimer, you know, and my, just for a second, I thought, I hope it's mountain. (laughs) Right. But she says uh, it was a hammered dulcimer. So apparently he used to play in Knoxville and maybe out in Arkansas. And he played a penny whistle, liked Irish music. And he also, um, uh, led 
I think contra dances or square dances. Wow. Now he passed away a, a few years back, but um, what's been neat with Heather, and I don't know if we talked about this. I don't, but I brought her to your. I just said her name, everybody. I was going to try not to say her name. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't succeed. Okay. So I brought her to your house, and um, Dan was playing all the really cool, hip, modern stuff. And then I, I said, Dan, can you do a little bit of Golden Slippers? You know, I just because I was thinking I wanted her to hear the kind of stuff maybe her dad played. You know, when she was little. What a copy your story. And while she was, um, while she was. Pl- while she was listening to you she, and you're playing Golden Slippers, she leans into my ear and she says, I really want to do that. <laughs> you know, it was just kind of neat. That is cool. So um, we're working on a, getting a standard hammer dulcimer. And like I sent it, you home with a linear or something. You sent me home with a piano dulcimer and a linear piano. chromatic. And a linear. That's where, okay. And, um, I felt like I was a little bit protective of her with those. Like don't like don't do that. It'll just mess you up. I don't know. I just don't know. That's the thing. I have no objective truth on it. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> I'm just taking a chance. But in the meantime, we've been playing Mountain Doll somewhere together and I really so she's never played a strummed instrument, but she is pretty good at, at reading piano and played piano for ten years. But I'll tell you, she's got a good strum that's accurate and it's varied. She can swing or play straight without me really having to coax her. Um, and I've just been training her to play what I'm playing. And I told her, I said, you know, we've done this about four or five times. And for the most part, there's big chunks of it where I just shut up and I even close my eyes and I just pick the right material. I pick the right tempo. And I told her, there's no judgment here. You don't have to explain to me that certain things are hard. Or I just I trust her to teach herself, and I give her the repetition and the and the patience. So, um, but would you she's trust pretty to, good, man. Would you trust her to speak for herself? Yeah, maybe. Then let's get her on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how she feels about that. Yeah, you know, thinking back to what we talked about earlier, both of us maybe feeling like we'd already said everything. Uh, that's silly, by the way. Well, I don't know. Now, here's the thing. I, we we always have more to say. It doesn't mean we're interesting. I think I have less to say. Oh, you have less to. to say than you I think to. I do, yeah. Well, I think that I might like the new Dan. You might. <laughs> I think it would be interesting to have other voices in here more often. And listen... I, I do too. Me, I know. I know you see me as being a little left of center. So don't. I. I do not like identity politics. You no, know? Neither like, one of us likes like, that crap. You have to have a this because this is underrepresented. I think you only have a this or whatever this is if it fits the situation. Let me. I have However, to stop you. I have to wait, stop no, I you. Finish. No, I gotta stop How, you. <laughs> I have the floor. She's a beats. I want to. I would, however, like <laughs> to hear some female perspective. Oh, well, and also yeah. Yeah. watch me and you recognize when we're mansplaining and <laughs> try to not right. do it because I think it might kill us. We might die. I wish we had a studio and we lived closer and it would just be like, see you at the studio at two. Yeah. 
All right, you wanted to say something. I know. I it was a it was a. I went to a high school football game the other night, and um, the home team, which I guess is my team, you know, I barely know anything about football, but <laughs> they they actually, they scored a touchdown right away. Like one of the guys got away with the ball, and that was it, man. So the school's going crazy, right? Um, then some time goes by at some point, the other team, right? The enemy team did what I perceived to be a great play. I thought that's impressive. Oh no. And you wanted to be happy for them, but I knew I had to keep that inside. (laughs) Right? Well, when it comes to religion, politics, people, all kinds of topics, I hate doing that. So um, I don't, for me, I don't think vegetarianism is the way to go. And I could tell you a number of reasons why I think it's not good for me. Um, But whenever I hear anything good about being a vegetarian, I want to celebrate that. I don't want to be in this thing where it's like, this is my side and that's your side and I just don't want to live life like that. I wouldn't want to do that with my best friends. You know, your buddy gets a truck and you don't really like it, but you go, man, I got to give, I got to, I got to tell you that that truck is a, you know, it can really climb or whatever, you know, like, can't we just, and I remember in high school going to the pep rallies where I was like, why am I cheering for my team? This is where people are going to think I'm crazy. I want to cheer for the game. How about a good game, y'all? The quality of the play. You, things should be argued on their merits. <laughs> I mean, you know, both teams are from the same city. Well, how about we all cheer for the, you know. How about we yeah. cheer? But anyway, so that's why it's this, hard, Steve. man. The only way the world changes is by one person deciding to change it. Well, I just, we the, here's two then. I know. And it, pretty soon it's a movement, just like Alice's Restaurant. And... I also want to say this about politics, religion, all this kind of stuff. I th- This can't always be the case. You don't always have this luxury, but I prefer to be in a good relationship with somebody where we each trust each other. And in good faith, we can listen to each other and talk to each other. If I don't have that kind of relationship, typically, I realize there are exceptions, but typically I'm not interested... And talking about anything of substance with somebody who doesn't like, and I'm not, I know sometimes you got to talk to strangers, you know, whatever, but I trust you. Like if you told me, hold on, listen, don't talk. I'm, I give you the benefit of the doubt and I believe you have the right intentions at heart and I'm going to listen to what you say. And I'm not, and oh, I tell you one thing I hate is when somebody just launches into their script, you feel like if you walked out of the room, they wouldn't even notice it. So it's all that kind of stuff that has worn me out a little bit. And, um, and I'll tell you one thing that it's changed in me is when somebody starts talking about something that's different from what I believe or understand, one thing I've been doing lately is I shut up. And I tell myself, maybe during this conversation, your job is to listen. And you can go away and think about this for weeks. 
You do not need to have a rebuttal. <laughs> you do not need to clarify to them how you feel on the matter. So I've just been telling myself, why don't you just listen to them, you know? You know, the the Kurt Vonnegut thing that gets used by all kinds of folks from uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, wasn't it Slaughterhouse-Five? The uh, It's called the Serenity Prayer most of the time. Grant me the... Uh, the strength to change the things I can, uh, to uh, wisdom to uh, the last one change is the, the things I can. <laughs> yeah, to uh, accept the things I can't and, and that, wisdom yeah. to know the difference. That's Kurt Vonnegut. That's Kurt Vonnegut from Slaughterhouse Five. Yeah, is it Get five out. or twelve? I got the number. Messed Get up. out. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Uh, anyways, uh, I think that's a big deal. Our our task in conversation changes depending on the conversation, I guess. What you take to a conversation, in some cases, like I'm in this persuasive, I'm in a persuasive arena, in a sense, at council meetings and that we've had some pretty heavy stuff going on. And I haven't had a lot of choice but to be prepared to, to do battle. And have been in a situation where it's it's been four against one for most of two years. So it's caused me to have to hone those things a bit. Oh, because you don't want to do that sloppily, and you don't well, want you don't want to you don't want to be a frustrate you don't want to frustrate what is an otherwise good process either. Right. Most of uh, you know, and I'm sure I'm a I'm a thorn in the side of several folks that I work with there. But to me, good process matters in some, to some degree better. It matters more than what my opinion is on something and what your opinion is on it. Because if you do the process well, you've got a good chance of both of you like moving the needle just a little bit. If you give everything a chance and what you said speaks to that. Sometimes, the best thing to do is just listen and not have a rebuttal. Not all the time. But sometimes that's the best way to move the other person. See, if they you want to be listened to. Yeah, so I, I know somebody who's upset because nobody listens to him. And what I've noticed about that person is they never seem to listen to anybody. And so I thought, man, a, 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 a gesture of goodwill would be for you to listen to everybody for the next year. Or, or actually, why don't you give them four years? <laughs> See how that's, that changes things. That's a lot. I know, but it's just like you've been yelling at people f- for years, and you're wondering why they don't listen, and you never listen to them. Here's the rule. Don't make arbitrary rules. <laughs> so um, That's a joke, by the way. That's a joke. I don't get jokes. I'm not good with jokes. I just made an arbitrary rule about not making an arbitrary rule. My name forgetting has gotten worse, and it's 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 with people I know the best, and I think I'm I have an anxiety that's starting to build. So when I'm at a festival, I'll see somebody and I'll be like, "Well, that's so and so." Don't forget their name. And as I approach them, I'm thinking, "You're going to forget. You're going to forget. You're going to forget." And when I get over there, I forget their freaking name. (laughs) Well. I have an opinion on that, but it's going to involve a book. <laughs> and I know people get tired of me pushing books on them all the time. But well, what is it? The uh, 
It's called uh, The Courage to be Disliked. Have I mentioned this one to you? Somebody else might have mentioned this to me. Actually. It's the best book I've read in... No, I heard this in a podcast. It's the best book I've read in years, and I'm on about my fourth time through it, at least fourth time through it. I think it. it's so important. Think about how motivated we've been in the dulcimer it's, world to be liked. It's not about that, though. That's, it isn't I, about that. I hate the title. Uh, as is the case most of the time, <laughs> publishers make the titles to sell books. Okay, so it's not about that. The, one of the key concepts in Bad there title, is though. that it's about courage. The whole book is about courage. And just one of the things you have to have the courage to be is disliked. Another one you have to have the courage to be is normal. You don't have to be the best at everything. And your best chance at getting there is being normal. And where, what I'm getting to is when you can't remember people's names, I'm the same way. Be a normal entertainer who also probably most entertainers have a hard time with that because we meet so many people. And we are entertainers, and so we're really drawing on another part of who we are at the time. And so get more comfortable with knowing you may not remember people's names, and you'll remember people's names better <laughs> because, so. of, because of the anxiety of it. And I, I'm very comfortable saying to people now, help me with your name or tell me your name, and there's a good chance I'm going to ask you again. And if I ask you again, it's because I care and I'm embarrassed, but I'm going to ask you anyway. 150 years ago, how big do you think the typical community was across 125 the people. That's about the considered to be the functional. We, we would have almost no problems if our communities were small enough that we knew everyone and we knew what their foibles were. We knew what worked with them and what didn't. Well, in the dulcimer world, think of the people we've met. And then you get online. There's online personalities. Um. Yeah, so I it was explained to me that way in a book that uh, hmm. I guess it was explained to the universe through the book that right. uh, that we supposedly only have the capacity for so many names normally. Some some people are going to have more than others, but sure. those same people might not be able to learn something else. So we've all got our things. Can I can I hit one more thing on this book and then I'll leave it alone? What's that? It's so good this these concept well <laughs> this is just us talking okay i want to be careful about anything that confirms what i already think because that you, can just be you don't want to be, be in the trap chamber. of only hanging out with things that only confirm what you think right but this thing confirms some like greater concepts that i've thought most of my life and when I say them, I think that means so much to me. And it's, it feels like it falls on deaf ears a little bit to other people. I'm like, why aren't they as excited about? Like what I said to you earlier about one person can change the world. I've been saying for years, my goal is to change the world. And I, because I think we can. And that's not hubris or arrogance. It's like, that's the only way it can possibly work is one person says, okay, I'm going to go for this. Now, they may only move it just a little bit. They may only move the needle. You know, it's the butterfly's wings kind of thing. But it's the only way anything gets done. This, the concepts in this book are uh, Adler. It's Alfred Adler, who is a contemporary of Freud and Jung. 
And they, they all used to get together on Wednesday, which is really interesting because it's almost like, remember the stuff about Tolkien and uh, C.S. Lewis getting together? Yeah. He had a lot of these kinds of partnerships. I know that about, right? I've heard about that kind of thing. Yeah, well, so the three of them all sort of hit different fields, too, and that we know Freud was wrong about almost everything to some degree, and we understand now. He probably messed a lot of people up. It was probably based on how messed up he was. Uh, Jung took it in a different way, and then this Adler guy was more of a natural philosopher than he was a psych person. And to me, this stuff is like reading... Uh, the way Plato explains uh, Aristotle, you know, like in the Republic with, and, and the way the book's even set up is it's somebody talking to a student, it's a teacher and a student, and they're having these arguments all the way through it. And the student says, no, I think that's, that's crazy. What are you talking about? And then the teacher explains the concept and they go back and forth and, you know, and try to find examples of why it does or doesn't work. So I, w- I went through this and I'm like, wow, that is, it's so good. It's, and it's very simple and, Sometime we'll talk about it more, but I remember when I finished this book the first time, I was like, okay, I'm going to apply some of these concepts in conversation and in listening to people and in trying to just be less uptight around other folks. And it's all about defining what's your task and what's my task and knowing that you have no control over anybody else's task. And if they don't do it, you need them to do it. There's a point at which you become comfortable with just saying, well, I'm going to disassociate myself with that person, which might feel harsh to somebody like me who probably really does want everyone to like him, but it's not your job to get everybody to like you. I felt I was thinking this through last night quite uh, you, deeply. <laughs> I, to- I totally recommend this book. And I, here's where I'm finishing to the point where I felt this selfish thing in me, <laughs> like this book gives me a superpower. You ever, you ever do that? And you think, oh, this is a great trick. Right, like a secret weapon. Like a secret weapon. And then, you know, the more I thought through it, I'm like, what a jerk. This is a great book, and I'm going to unashamedly recommend that all my friends read it. And then, and then have a conversation about it. Well, you you mentioned about the writers getting together. This last week I heard a podcast, and a really well-known writer mentioned that he's been involved in writers' groups since the 80s. What do you call them? Writers' workshops. Hmm. And um, he said there's typically anywhere from 12 to 18 writers in a group. He said they all of them will last, you know, some have lasted 10, 20 years, some less. But he said one of his, his main motivations in writing, and he, he's written things that have been movies and all kinds of stuff, is going to those weekly workshops and sharing a little snippet of something he's excited about that he's written in the ah, last week. That's Well, that applies to music, doesn't it? Yeah, because the interviewer was saying, you know, what's your main motivation in writing? Do you write it? And the guy goes, no, 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 no. A huge part of my motivation is, uh, is sharing it with my fellow writers. And I think musician i wish i wish we had more of that going on i feel like at the festivals we get to do a little bit of that but i really wish i i, I wish we had a like you and aaron were getting together for a while once a week twice a week it was amazing the stuff that was happening yeah that yeah. was good to do and it's almost like this guy has had a lifestyle of that you know and sometimes you end up it, it's no longer working out with these folks so you shift over to these folks but well 
two thoughts come off of that. One is you and I might have had sort of a life lie that we were telling each other is that you remember this thing that when we worked together in the office, we were like, no, don't tell me about it. Just do it. Yeah. Because you lose some of your edge. But a writer's reading what they did already. Right. But I'm still thinking that maybe that might have been wrong because if we were coming from the right place, oh. we, we wouldn't have to worry about that. When if, we were if, in the office. If, if we had the courage, so Adler's thing would be the reason you don't complete things is because you're not brave enough to complete them. Well, not that you're not smart enough or good enough. It's you're not brave enough. This is very simple, but I've been, I, I think about this all the time. Somebody will say to me, I really want to be a pianist. Right? And what they mean is they want to be doing piano. Well, not necessarily. Some people just want to be that, but they don't want to do that. So it's I've been trying to th- just bring my mind present with, with doing new repertoire for the Mountain Dulcimer. I've been working on sight reading on the piano, um, all kinds of things. If there's something I want to be, I want to shift my thinking into I want to be the person who does those things. And then it comes down to this. If you're the person that does those things and you're never doing those things, you're not the kind of person that does those things. I don't agree with that. Okay. You you might not be the kind of person who does those things right now. Right. But the reason, reason why you don't do those things may be because of fear that if you do them, you will not be successful. True. And that's, uh, that's why part of this idea is the courage to be normal, to recognize there are going to be people better than me at this. Sure. Uh, and that can be okay. But the thing is, I'm trying to encourage myself. If I want new repertoire for the dulcimer, then I have to be doing new repertoire. Right. You know, I'm not doing it at all. So I just don't want to go around saying I want to do that when clearly the track record lately has not been new repertoire. Right. So what I'm working on right now, new repertoire-wise, is uh, something I've wanted to do for years, and it's hard. And so I haven't completed it, but my goal is to have it completed by Black Mountain. You know, I used to work in public radio, and that was a for a big part of my life I worked in broadcasting and I was the morning I was the host for the the local host for morning edition you know and I and I met all these people and you know so I just have this history with all that so I want to play the themes cool hammer dulcimer versions all of this BJ Lederman stuff or stuff BJ Lederman wrote this stuff the theme for morning edition I want to do the theme from Weekend Edition. I want to do, and that one's a boy. That's a tough piano piece. If you watch Liederman play, what's the one that goes? All Things Considered. So that's that's the All Things Considered theme. And then the one in the middle is, and this isn't NPR, but this was out of Chicago. I can't remember what the name of the group was. But I used to listen every day to Carl Haas' Adventures in Good Music, oh, which, yeah. be- which begins with, uh, let's see, is it? Uh, 
Uh, no, it starts here. There it is. Do you remember that? I'm I'm gonna recommend that you do. A f- anyway, it's. Uh, I'm gonna recommend, and you can tell me the better times. But I'm thinking five seconds, ten, twelve seconds, and then, uh, and then three minutes, like of each one. Well, I've already got a little bit of an. I I can't play that because I'm holding one hand and leaning behind, reaching over behind a microphone. But I've got a little arrangement that's starting. Uh, it's kind of got a news groove thing to the beginning of it, and anyway, I'm just you might saying as all well that. do that. I'm saying all that to say, for the last three or four years, I would be afraid to tell you I was going to do that because I would feel like it would give me a curse, and I wouldn't. Because the idea was you get a little bit of reward for saying it, yes. And then I'm like, "You're smart, Dan. Good job." And then and you I don't think, do it. I think we were wrong about that. And what and if I you're think, mostly wrong? What if that's well, somehow also again? True? Here's what I'm doing. I'm giving this Adlerian idea a try. Is that we should not tell each other good job. We should tell each other, thank you. And that's something you do pretty well naturally. I've noticed that. What's that? that when, so the, the concept like dealing with kids or workers or whatever is that there are no vertical relationships. All relationships are horizontal. So whether or not you are more accomplished or less accomplished than I am at something, you and I have a horizontal relationship and you maybe instruct me as to what I need to do. You give me a task. I complete that task and you say, thank you. Simple. Huh. As, as opposed to really good job. Yay, Steve. That was super. It's like, no, you get your reward because you completed the task that you set out to do. And you're, that's the reward. And, and that comes back to Working on the little snippet, like you just said. It plays into some things I think we know as good stuff. I just think you and I were believing some things that were not good for us. Huh. Yeah. That's why I want you to read this book. <laughs> Can we talk about gear? Uh-huh. All right, dude. <laughs> yeah, I got some talk. All right, so I had the Bose. What's that system I have called? It's that compact. It's the Bose... Compact. That's just what it's called. And what's the L1? That's a bigger thing? Yeah, I don't think they even have the L1 anymore, or they've just changed the model of it. All right, so I've got the Bose systems, just to keep it simple, for those who don't know, they they make certain things easier. (laughs) And um, so I've had the Bose stick for almost five years. The small, you've had the small one, the, the compact. compact, right? And the main reason I got it was for playing with orchestras. Um, so lately, I've been performing a lot with Wilma Jensen. She's taken a BlackBerry Winter and orchestrated it. I guess you call it that for pipe organ. Yeah, can so, I correct something quickly sure. and then you continue? So I'm looking at it online. It's the there's the Bose Compact, the Bose Compact system. There's the L1 and there's the L1 Model Two. Well, maybe I've got the L1 then. Well, yours is, is yours the little one? I mean, where everything goes inside the one thing? Or yes. Does, yeah, well, that's the... I don't know. But um, we've done pipe organ performances at Rochester, New York, down at the Red Tide. What's that place? <laughs> What's the Red Tide? Up I don't here? know. We don't know sports. I think killing all the fish down on, <laughs> on the floor. Um, I've done it all over the place with her. 
Um, and I've also had more orchestra work in the last two years than I've had in many years. It's bizarre. So the problem with the stick was the mixer element of it. Mm. So I don't know if it was nine months ago, maybe, I got the the Bose Tone Match, which is a, a digital mixer, basically, that right. pairs with the system. Well, it doesn't pair with yours. Well, it doesn't pair... Ye- it doesn't pair with it in the same way it pairs with the bigger ones. No, right. wait a minute. Yeah, it does. No, it doesn't. I you plug it. The, I got to plug it into the wall for power. That's right. And you have to take audio out of it. I got to take it's, audio out of it and go into. The, that's right. That's However, right. not a big deal for me. No. Nah. It was five hundred bucks, which I normally wouldn't spend that on a little thing like that. So this little thing, I got. Each channel, so I have two channels for two different dulcimers, regular and Tennessee Music Box that's bowed. I EQ'd all that at home, and you can save all those settings on each channel for each dulcimer. I get to the orchestra, I tweak it. I get to the pipe organ, I tweak it. All the following performances, I almost make zero changes. The only thing I do is sometimes I might turn the main level up a little or down a little when somebody out there asked me to. So I'm showing up to the gigs, plugging all that stuff in for what's typically a very stressful gig. You know, you're playing with an orchestra. Um, The Bose allows the sound to emit from the middle of the orchestra. Most people kind of don't even notice the Bose when you see all the other stuff on the stage. I can't tell you how easy Mm -hmm. it's been to trust that system. Are you even putting the stick up high or are you keeping it down low? Up high. Okay. Um, I also, in the last gig, I put it about 15 feet away from me and we were able to get more volume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what a big difference for me. It's of all the gear I've ever bought this. So here's the good thing. There's new versions of that. The main advantage for me is that there's, um, there's a graphic EQ on the final output, which I don't know that I need. But here's the cool thing. That thing I'd paid five hundred for on Sweetwater right now, that's going for three hundred. So it's two hundred dollars off. How many mic channels in? Four. It is four. Interesting. Do they have I haven't looked at them in a long time. Do they have any that are also can be computer interfaces? Mm, I don't know about that. Like, like a USB interface or something. And I know there's you know, there's so many cool things, but do you appreciate how awkward it was in the old days? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, Have you used it outside yet? Oh, and let me say this, too. It's, it hooks to the mic stand. So I'm sitting right there with it. So during rehearsals yeah. and sound check, oh, man, instantly give people what they want. And I had more than one person. Maybe it was three. <laughs> but tell me that I sound perfectly natural and they said it's almost as if you're not amplified. Now, you know, that who knows? But I have that gig in particular, bowing that old box, you know, doing all that with an orchestra with very little rehearsal time. Are they putting it's the speaker so nice to have it work out finally? Yeah, are they after putting the speaker back years? in like back behind the orchestra then in the percussion section? Or so something? normally I put it behind me about six feet and i put it about two feet so it's not directly behind me it's like two feet to the side um that allows the conductor to hear me 
Right, but normally you've got two rows of humans behind you as well, or one well, row. Well, it goes right in front of the violas, basically. Viola, okay. Gotcha. Now, with the pipe organ, I put it much further back because that thing is she had to hear it can i just say this yes that's why we did it i forgot um the idea was i needed a little more level in the room because pipe organs are loud for those of you who don't know what a pipe organ is and she needed to hear me better um it worked great for that so that's that's a little piece of gear that just makes me smile and the funny thing is when you're 16 the idea of spending five hundred dollars on a mixer drive you know you'd think oh my goodness and here's another thing i bought for that particular gig that i've used since a nice high quality direct box that was 250 bucks mono or stereo it's dual or whatever it's the dual yeah i know the one and um, so I'm at the gig, and the guy says, we're recording this. We're doing a live webcast. It was There was f- about 500 pipe organists in the room, which oh, she said cool. is very nerve-wracking to play for 500 pipe organists. But um, he... You know, he said, can you give me a, a feed? He's trying to figure it out. I said, well, I have a direct box, you know. So a direct box is the least exciting piece of gear you could ever spend 250 bucks on. Not sexy at all. <laughs> Not at all. There's barely any knobs or buttons on it at all. <laughs> right. It's a yeah. box. But for those of you who don't know, it just allows you to send your signal far away and keep things high quality so it can go all the way to the board, right? Do you know what the I is in direct box? It's called um, a DI. It's it's not what you think it is. I think I did see it, but what is it? It's injection. It's a direct injection box. So you can it means you can what? Well, it converts the signal so that you can directly inject it into a clean audio pad. It's a low impedance signal, which means right. things will not impede it as it travels down the the wire. Right. Because it cleans and boosts the signal so that it looks like a a good microphone. So I want you to know that there's been a few times in my career as a musician where I felt that I'd really matured and achieved something. Walking out of that music store with a direct box meant I knew how useful that was. I had a reason to use it. And, you know, it just felt good. That's crazy. So my little bit of gearhead stuff is <laughs> a result of something you suggested a while back is uh, ALK Looper from yeah, Zen Audio. I in, know. I, uh, keep... I think it's in Germany. The guy, the guy who promotes it, his name is Robin. I've written back and forth a couple of questions. So, like Butch him. Ross and, and Bing Futch, they're using Looper pedals, so you can just yeah. stack things. I think most people have seen yeah. that. This guy's Australian, I think, or from New Zealand. It's hard to tell, but you know, big old world out there. But yes, if you have an interface of some kind to get audio into a computer and you have a computer. It's got to be a Mac, unfortunately, in this case. This software is another paradigm shift. And I'm going to do this. I can do this in 30 seconds. And I'll just say this. It makes the looping more interesting. Yeah. So here's what I would say. You had Studio Pro. You had Pro Tools. Then you get into Digital Performer. Then you get into Logic Developing out there and a few other things like that. And they all kind of do their thing and they all keep getting better and better and mixing audio and MIDI. And then uh, Ableton comes along, which sort of is a paradigm shift for people who might want to do looping and electronica and all that kind of stuff and pulls all that together. 
this is a paradigm as much of a paradigm shift as Ableton was from all those linear based systems. Right. This right. is a paradigm shift again for looping in that it looks like it's just a basic linear track editor, but it has super simple tools intended for the live performing looper. So you just grab, a t- really, you just press a key and slide across the timeline, and that's how long you're going to record. And then after that, you really, if you know the keyboard commands, you just go FF, which just fills it. It'll fill it out to the end and just keep playing forever. Well, here's if the cool just, thing. You it's- just draw on the lines, and it does what you want. What, you don't I mean, need to it, hit any pedals. No. But you do need to have a, a rhythmic reference. Yeah, a metronome of some kind. Yeah, absolutely. Which you might create in the first loop by just going chuck chuck chuck. You know, still and better if you just go. I'm going to have a rhythmic reference that I listen to, even if it goes away, something like that. But because of that software, I'm playing way more when I want to work on loops. I'm getting in. It's like an. It's like a eight out of 10 ratio as opposed of like playing to fiddling with making it work. Right. The software work. Whereas I think before it was like a four playing and six fiddling with stuff to try to get all the, everything to work right. It'd be nice if that was on iPad. I don't think it is. No, I still think the best thing on iPad is looper. Yeah, but this no loopy loopy, but this imagine every time Butchross hits the pedal to turn on and off loops. So the software allows you to, pl- to, to plan all that out over a three-and-a-half-minute piece. When are things going to come and go? When is it going to record me? When is it going to stop? When is it going to bring back an old thing? So once you've rehearsed your whole your performance, you really are looping it live, but with the aid of that. So I, I really wish I could have heard what Butch said about this. So here's, what, here's another thing that it adds, though, Steve, and this is where I think – you know, we we went to the Tivoli. Uh, I don't, it doesn't matter who the main show was, but it was it was it was John Prine, the the person before John Prine. Now, you know, John was great, but it was a great show. There, there were two opening acts before John, and and one of them I won't say the name, and they were good at what they did. But if it take if you've got a song that's maybe two and a half minutes interesting, and it takes you five minutes to do it because you've got to build all the loops, that's two and a half minutes uninteresting. And yeah, but but like ten years ago, it was interesting because it was new. Everybody was like, "What is he doing?" And I, right. I'm just and Nobody I'm talking about anymore. Phil Kagi. Yeah, exactly. Know. Now, yeah, we just and it's still cool. It's just nice to have the option well, no, of but, having more complexity with with it being easier for the musician. I think. Yeah, but what I want you to get with this software, the software disappears. Because you've already decided how much time you're going to give yourself. Yeah. You just start playing. And so on my hammer dulcimer, I might have to, like, it, for as long as it would take me to put down my hammers and pick up my other hammers, maybe it's two beats, maybe it's four beats, because I'll, I'll change hammers as I'm building something. There's no break. It's just like one thing rolls into another. And used to be, for if we've got anybody who's interested in this and still with me, remember what it would be like when you would record something and you think, okay, I don't want to make an audience sit and listen to me do all the chord progressions when I'm just changing it. And you would have to do, if you did it MIDI, it was easy. But if you did audio, you'd have to bring in some kind of a pitch shifter and then you'd get artifacts and it'd get weird sounding. This does it internally with the software. Uh, and, and, and the it's just amazing. It is. A, it's a new It's thing. not a plug-in. It's not a plug-in to make it pitch shift. It's just like you just... 
put two fingers on there and you slide it up, how many semitones you want it, and it's changed. And so you set your playback stuff up so that it's going to do that for you. So you might just play four measures of a bass or one measure of a bass line. You might go bump, 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 bump. And it knows that when you're done with that, if it calls that up later in the tune, it can shift that. Exactly. That's I didn't know it did that. Yeah. So are I, you you're putting a you're putting like a rhythm loop down first. Are you building the rhythm or do you use a? Well, you remember that weird drum I bought. So okay, I'm playing with that, and then then bass lines, and then sometimes you know like a little ostinato thing. Here's where I am on my on what's cool, really keeping me excited about hammer dulcimer and making me get up as I did today at four o'clock in the morning. I see all these cool like. Uh, uh, what's the one called? There's the Sun Drum, S-U-N Drum now, yeah. which is tunable. They're like pan drums. They're like the, uh, you know, the, the the hand pans. What do they call those things? The uh, It looks like a metal UFO. Yeah, like a little spaceship. Those are all really cool, but they kind of do one thing in one pitch. Right. The Hammer Dulcimer does all that stuff if you know what those scales are. Yeah. Those just lock you in modally. And so I'm using these super soft hammers that I help design mm-hmm. and putting dampers on or putting some, treating the strings some other way and creating those kinds of background feel, uh, the, the beds to then play stuff on top of. Uh, anyway, I, I'm getting too inside baseball on what I'm doing, I guess, that's gonna, not going to be that interesting to people. But I'm doing that, which is on the weird creative side. But then on the regular side, I'm going... How do you use this for Arkansas Traveler and right. for Old Gray Cat and for Whiskey Before Breakfast? Right. So that it can occur. Really, you do a three and a half minute song that's got everything in it. This one video I saw online, this girl sits down at the drums and she does hi-hat for l- l- one measure. And then immediately the, the system knew to start repeating that. She goes to the bass, lays down the bass. Right. It was it's beautiful. If you find she's a video listening, on YouTube. Yeah, she's listening to a metronome, just so you know. But even this, so get this, you got your metronome on. All you do is on your metronome for your metronome playback track, you just tell it to turn it off. So what about these cool watches on um on uh Sweetwater where everybody wears a watch or you can strap it to different parts of your body and it's so a whole band can share a metronome but it's not audible it's it's vibrations does anybody use those i think it's a gimmick and i think anyone who is good enough to be able to use that probably doesn't need anybody it. who needs that doesn't need that <laughs> let me see anybody who could appreciate that it doesn't need it i probably know. doesn't I need know. it well you know we've talked about this before the easiest thing to do and maybe the worst one of the worst things you can do is learn to ignore a metronome to learn to ignore one that's tapping on your wrist would be horrible for people and well you know what until i actually feel that thing like if it was a real click like if you felt like somebody was tapping you with a pencil i don't know i might enjoy that yeah i've tried i've experimented with a couple of those with my watch uh they just they are interesting, but they run the battery down so fast. So who knows? I mean, that's dedicated to that, so probably we just had um, Aaron May was here this last week, and we had our yearly chromatic three day, which is super fun, and we teach it together. I really, 
It's it, I really enjoy doing it. It's too you know. I think I I really thinking about doing a five day for that. That's Aaron. Aaron, if she's listening, that means she's cleaning her kitchen. Or maybe because she listens to the podcast while she cleans her kitchen. You mean that's what she says? Yeah. So my favorite part, as far as what encourages me about what I need to work on, um, after the last day, the next day actually. After the class was over, the next day, right before she flew out, we played for about an hour. And we, we, I, I think I'd, I would just generate a chord progression and we would take turns playing lead and back up. And then after five minutes, change the chord progression. We just did that for an hour. And what I noticed was personally for me, my timing was not where it needs to be to do that. And, um, also, I had to be careful about when she got quiet, I better notice that. I better not play over her when I'm playing back up. But um, I put a metronome on, and our timing it exposed the problem. And I just told her, man, I wish we could do this once a week. Sit down with a metronome, do this together. These bluegrass bands, like uh, Blue Highway was just here at the station, and some of my students went to hear them. They're really good. They're really tight. Those guys are on the road all year and have been for years, you know. Um, I, I live too much. I don't play with other people enough, you know. I used to when I was younger. But I really, I really wish I had some time to get better at all that. And, and, and also just... The metronome, man. The reason you hear better musicians talk about it so affectionately is that it's like the doctor. You know, if if you know how to use it, you go into the doctor and he fixes you up. Because after a little bit of time with that metronome, my sensibilities about rhythm are a little more accurized. And yeah, I had I spent two hours with a really strong cello player who's. 14, 15 years old, a couple of days ago. Her mom wanted me to introduce her to some just different things she could try, like looping and playing amplified. And she's she's seeing YouTube videos and thinking she wants to do it. Their family is the most low-tech. They don't know anything about any of this stuff. And I'm pretty sure that everything I said to her came out as <laughs> except when I put headphones on and got her to play through a delay. And her timing changed uh, immediately. Uh, That's yeah. the only thing. Seriously, I agree her, with you. Her I've mom told me later with the delay a, a number of times since you brought that up. But for her, out of all that stuff, that's the only thing that actually stuck that seemed interesting. So it's a it's a good deal. Listen the timing to the stuff. Here's another. I don't want to talk gear the whole time, but listen, this is something new I got here. Yes. So I don't know how this is going to go, but I am, um, I'm working on sight reading again. I took an online assessment where they run you through lots of pieces, starting with the simplest thing you can imagine. On piano? Yeah. And you just keep going and going and going. It gets harder and harder gradually. Could we do that? Go ahead. So, and then... You have to score 80% on each one. And when they pop up, you only have five seconds to scan the page before you play it. And then you're assessed. Hey. And and after three fail. So anyway, I want you to hear this. 
Uh, yeah. I was a piano major for two years, right? In college. Well, this assessment had a lot of levels. I was on the second one from the bottom out of maybe 30 levels, 20 levels. Wow. For sight reading. So what I've learned is what I used to do is I, I could read well enough to play it until, of course, I had it memorized. I did have to play it a number of times. I'm not like some people where they would just hear it and fake it. So I've never really been sight reading piano. I play what's on the page and then kind of memorize it and then move on to the next measure. And I there's there's a lot of music out there that I want to bring to dulcimer. And it's so much easier to learn if you've got the combination of the recording and the page. And I just want to be a little better at reading. And I can sight read real well on the dulcimer and the keys we play in, you know. But for me, my music interests are not instrument specific. But if you look at my track record, it all comes back to dulcimer in the end, you know. But I've spent the last four years learning so much about synthesizers it's ridiculous and electronic <laughs> music and um and when i was playing the dulcimer with air and i realized i've got a whole new series of potential goals as far as soloing and all that so anyway that's just that's my music but what were you going to say about uh, five minutes ago it'd be great if we could figure out how to do something like that for dulcimer players for sight reading in particular for Mountain Dulcimer, because it lends itself to it better. Andre, if you're listening, <laughs> Andre, get, get your guys to write that software for us. Well, the one thing is... Andre's a giant. The reason this system can assess your playing is I'm using a MIDI instrument, which means when I hit a note, the computer knows what I hit and when. Um, but music, I've... Music is... Um, for me, I have to get excited about the ideas of what's possible with music, and then and then it just it spreads like a virus to everything I do, and it ends up on the dulcimer. You know, music is a world within itself. It's a language we all understand. Now you get the you get the two next harder lines. What are the next ones? Hang on, da, 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 da. I don't remember. With the need for hum- humility, no. And it ends with responsibility. Clap. I don't remember. With the need for, with, with the need for ba 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 da da ba da da. Somebody look that. That's Stevie Wonder. What is it? Sir Duke, right? Sir Duke. So. I got to tell you about my mountain dulcimers too. All right, then we got to go. Oh, is it, we need it. we're getting there. Um, so I've been playing these McCafferty's. and you know it's always a weird thing. Just like you, you know, we're playing different instruments. I'm sure a builder really likes it when we're playing their instrument. And then when we aren't playing it so much, I imagine that's disappointing to some extent. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's so many things I like about the McSpadden, about Jerry Rockwell. There's certain things I like about Folkcraft. There's things, the McCafferty, there's things I like about the McCafferty. I'm more aware now, after I've been doing this as long as I have, I really know what it means now when somebody says there's no perfect fiddle. There's no perfect guitar, you know. Um, but I must say, I've really enjoyed working with Terry. But the funny thing is, um, 
I've really enjoyed the speed at which he will try out an idea, you know, and then I can try it, and I try it out and give him feedback. So that's just, I've really enjoyed playing those instruments lately. And I did a, I did a new concerto out in Oregon. Uh, Mark Steiner wrote that he, he purposely did not want me to sound like a mountain dulcimer. He'd already written one for me that where I'm very dulcimer like. So this one, he wanted a lot of individual notes the McCafferty did well on that. But, you know, if I had my choice on a stage, I would have at least five different builders on the stage with me, depending on what I'm doing. But I don't want to carry around five dulcimers, you know? Well, think about a hammer dulcimer that way. It's not just carrying them around. It's tuning them. I agree with you completely. I mean, uh, the whole thing with that carbon fiber is staying in tune more because it's not wood. Um. That's tempting, man. I'd I'd be tempted to just roll with that, but what are you looking up? Well, I I think it's okay to want to. So if you had a -a one-of-a-kind Sam Rosetta mountain dulcimer. Which he's made them. Right, but you couldn't sell it. And you do, part of your ability to, to do what you do is because you sell some instruments every now and then, too. And the only reason I can do what I do is because I'm able to sell things. Otherwise, I couldn't afford to do what I do, you know? Yeah, so I, I wouldn't be apologetic about that at all. And but, but Sam, we still want that carbon fiber amount. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, and it's not for sale. <laughs> no, what I, you asked me what I was looking up. Before we get off here, I want to... Uh, give a shout out to the for Dulcimer Players News subscribers because the new magazine should be hitting your mailboxes like any time now. And there's some cool stuff in there. Mark Wade's got an article this time about uh, called Demystifying Chord Substitutions. It's really cool. And I made, based on some stuff I found, a little thing I need to show you called Chord Face. It looks like a little smiley face, but it shows gives you options how to move from one chord to another, like if you're trying to improvise. Yeah, uh, It's in there. Butch Ross has an article about strumming. Uh, uh, the one I wanted to mention the most, though, is uh, you remember Amanda, Amanda Boyd, who, yes, who yes, sang with us? In England. Yeah, she she wrote an article about Cecil Sharp and oh, you know, some of the that. music and and the continuum about how like when you and I were there and then you know then we come back and or, or I went back and then Aaron was involved in it this time and uh, how all this folk music just ties generations together one after another. And let me let me get or if this is possible. Do I have this whole thing here? Nah, I don't. I was just going to say I'd read you the opening paragraph, but it's cool. It's, she's, she brings up an interesting point about you know Cecil Sharp doing this work on this music would have never dreamed that in 2018, right, there'd be musicians from that same continent working with a musician that they'd met while traveling, you know, to another continent True. on these tunes and keeping them going and and proof that one person good. can change the world amen bro dan landrum it was good talking to you and uh, i'll talk to you soon yeah we got to get uh it's too bad aaron's apostrophe you know if we can get aaron to uh change his name i think that his life would be easier by what five percent yeah exactly ten ten percent happier he'd be ten percent happier that's a good book too <laughs> you make a list I got a lot. I have lists, man. I make lists.